I want to say thanks to Mark for reading all of chapter 4. In the scripture reading, I put down 17 verses there that doesn't quite complete the entire chapter. And I told Mark, I said, if you so desire, you can go ahead and read all of that. That really kind of completes the thought in its totality there. And so he did that, and I appreciate that. I'm going to back up for one second there. Title of our lesson this morning, A Servant's Heart, Their Role, Their Soul, and the Goal. And we'll... Kind of explain that as we go along. Uh, we've been studying 1 Corinthians and the church at Corinth certainly was facing some issues uh, as Paul wrote to them. And some of the issues were doctrinal. Some of them was in regards to morality. But there were also egos that were involved and stood in the way in them solving their problems. And so to really start the healing, they needed to have a servant's heart. So there's three points that we're going to take a look at. The servant's role the servant's soul, and the servant's goal. I'll just go ahead and put up that first point. And there's a couple of things that I want to explain as we get ready to kind of jump into this. If you take a look at 1 Corinthians 4th chapter and all 21 verses there, it kind of breaks up into verses 1 through 5. And Paul will mention servants and stewards. So the first five verses, servants, stewards. And then in verses 6 through 13, it will talk about himself, the apostles, and their role that they had in God's plan. And then in verses 14 through 21, Paul will talk about his love that he has for the church there at Corinth and his concern for them and him being an example. And I believe the reason why he does that is because they are going to face these issues and there's a way to address these issues that they need to address. Now, here's a couple of qualifiers. So as we think about Christians, as we think about churches, one of the things that is talked about in the New Testament is fellowship. And oftentimes we describe fellowship just very simply. It's joint participation. It is a sharing in something. And so we look at that and we say, well, as Christians, we have fellowship, a sharing in Christianity. Sounds easy enough, right? Well, there's another part to that fellowship. So we look at the teaching and we say, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. So that's one part of it. And then the other part is me and you. It's people. That's where it gets real complicated. (laughs) It's that people part. (laughs) It's the teaching we can read and we can understand. And then it's when we start to share. And and to do those things, it becomes complicated. Now, there's a word that we oftentimes use in everyday language and sometimes in working together within church. We talk about cooperation. Right? Simple definition of cooperation is when everybody pushes in the same direction. Right? (laughs) Get everybody to push in the same direction. Now, Wednesday evening, we're standing back here and and people were starting to leave and stuff and kids. And and Luke walked out in the hallway and he'd been trying to round up kids and stuff. and, And I said to him, I said, Luke, Kind of like herding cats, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. Well, when we think about Christianity, and we think about fellowship, and then we try to get everybody going in the same direction, sometimes it's like herding cats. And the reason, the reason is because of being you. We have these personalities. And believe it or not, they're not all the same. (laughs) And then we have these egos. And if you hurt my ego, then I'm not going to help you push. You know. So so that's the way it was at Corinth. And so they had issues to deal with. That's understandable. But then you also had people. You had personalities. And you had egos. So let me give you kind of an illustration during Jesus' ministry. 
So doctrinally, doctrinally, would you say that the apostles were on the same page as far as Jesus was concerned? I think generally as we look at that, we'd say, yeah. On one occasion, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter kind of speaks up for the entire group and he says, thou art the Christ. And so doctrinally, they would agree. Here was that one that came from the lineage of Abraham, was from the lineage of David. The things that he taught, the things that he did, showed him to be the Son of God. And so generally, doctrinally, they would agree, you're the Christ. Okay, good. So now then, we're going to set up the kingdom. He's going to be leaving. You're going to have to take over, right? So that's where those personalities come into play. <laughs> Do you think they were all on the same page there? Well, in about Matthew, the 20th chapter, there was an occasion when James and John go to Jesus and they say in the kingdom, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left. They're getting ahead of the crowd, right? <laughs> Before the other apostles get involved, we want to have the main seats on the night in which Jesus was betrayed as they're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper, or He's going to institute it. And He's going to end up during that occasion, you recall, He's going to get down and wash their feet as a servant. What have they been arguing about? Who's the greatest in the kingdom. So doctrinally, you're the Christ. Personalities and egos, they have a tendency to get in the way. I believe that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And if they can get that settled, That'll go a long ways in settling all their other issues that they're going to be confronted with. So that's why we talk about the servant's role. Know your role. That's why we talk about the servant's soul. What's in you? What really guides you, directs you? Is it in your soul to serve Jesus Christ? And then what's your goal? So it's the role, it's the soul, and it's the goal. So in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Let a man so consider us, Paul's first talking about himself, but he's also projecting towards these others. So they'll make the application. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Let me pause for one second. So what Paul is saying is, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a steward of the mysteries. And how you judge me doesn't really affect me. What I'm really concerned about is how God, how Christ sees me. And then he says, I don't even judge myself because sometimes in our conscience, we may think we're doing just fine <laughs> and then find out, wait, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm not doing so fine. And so he said, I don't even judge myself. Verse four, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Ultimately, God, what he's saying is, God's my judge. That's the most important thing. That's what we want to keep in mind. And so as he begins this section... He says, we are servants and we are stewards. Those are two different things. 
one person, <laughs> but there's two things to understand there. So let me give you just a quick illustration. So first of all, he says we are servants. We are servers. So we can, we can understand that in a, in a simple way. If a person, male or female, has ever worked as a server. Right? Okay, so in Riverside, there's this restaurant called Corner Cafe. Maybe you've heard of it, right? <laughs> and they have these servers. Some of them are male, some of them are female. They're just servers. They've been hired by the owner, and they are servers. And so what they do is they go up to that window there by the kitchen, <laughs> and there is a plate that is set up there on the counter, on the, and they go get it. Now, whatever's on that plate, and I'll just use my own choice, there's fried chicken, there's mashed potatoes and gravy, there's some green, green beans, and there's a biscuit. Put on the plate. You're the server. I want you to take it and place it on that person's table. So you're a server, but once you pick that plate up, you know what you become? You become a steward. It's placed there. You take it. And now you're responsible for it. So before you get to the table, you eat the biscuit. <laughs> you're going to be held accountable. That's not your job. I want you to take what's been put on the plate and I want you to deliver it. Paul says we are servants, we are servers of the stewards caretakers responsible for the mysteries of God. So what? What is that? Well, those mysteries are something that belongs to somebody else. And so God has delivered something. He has put something on the plate. And the apostles are now stewards, servants of his, stewards, and he wants that delivered. Ephesians, the third chapter, and verses three through five. Paul says, well, back up to verse two. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. What's He saying? You know what that mystery is? That's how God was going to bring about salvation. For Jew and for Gentile. And so you know what God did? He prepared the plate. And He put everything on there that He wanted on there. And then he, by revelation, made that known to his holy apostles and prophets. And I want you to take this just the way I've given it to you. And I want you to deliver it. Can we see that? So how is it in this dispensation that a man is going to be saved? It is by faith in Jesus Christ. It is by repentance, turning from that old life to Him. It is by confessing Him as Lord, being buried in water for the forgiveness of your sins, coming forth a new creature. That's part of what He put on the plate. Did He put anything else on there? Yeah, He did. 
So Paul writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And he's given instruction to a church. That's a group of Christians in a particular locale that God has given instructions to. He puts something else on that plate. And I want this delivered to them. Now, we don't have time to talk about it all, but we can talk about the work, the worship, and the organization of the church. Talk about all that. God has put that on the plate, and I want that delivered to them so that they know what's expected of them. And in this book, 1 Corinthians, he'll talk about a lot of those things. And he'll talk about their worship. Why do we do the things we do on the first day of the week? Because that's what they did under the guidance of the apostles. And one of the things specifically he talks about in verse or chapter 11 is the Lord's Supper. Right? So that's it. I want, I want them to know how to observe this. But in this same book, he also talks about singing. He also talks about praying. He also talks about studying the word. Chapter 16, he talks about contributing on the first day of the week. All that's on the plate. <laughs> and I want it delivered. Exactly like I gave it to you. You know what the problem is? <laughs> With that, <laughs> sometimes men want to change it. Oh, that's what he put on the plate? Well, I don't like the green beans. Let's just take those off. That repentance part, it's kind of annoying. Let's just keep on living the way we live, and let's just have faith in Jesus Christ. I like that part, but this other part, not so much. And that worship part, eh, let's change that too, okay? (laughs) It's a lot more entertaining if we do some other things. But you know what Paul will say? As stewards, verse 2, he is to be found faithful. Faithful. So the owner says, I hired you to be a server. And something is put in your possession. You're not the owner. It's in your possession. And I want you to take it and I want you to deliver it. And as a steward, you're just simply to be found faithful. You don't change it. You don't add some stuff. You don't take some stuff away. You just deliver it the way I gave it to you. And so we're servants. That's what Paul's saying. And we are stewards. And a steward is to be found faithful. And in verse 6, he'll say that I'm applying this to myself and to Apollos. We're servants. We're stewards. So make the application is what he's saying. Everything we have, God delivered it to us. We didn't come up with it ourselves. He gave it to us. We're servants and we're stewards. And we are to be trustworthy. Now, here's a point I want to make. If you want to turn to Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 18. A steward, a servant's first responsibility is to think about how do I use, how do I take what has been given to me so that it benefits the owner? Because you know what? When you walk up to that window where the food is (laughs) and you think, oh, well, I'm going to take this and I'm going to deliver it over here and it's for their benefit well it is it is but you know whose benefit is first 
It's the owner. The owner's the one that came up with the idea for this business. The owner is the one that set everything in place. And he is going to benefit by it. Right? So first, it's the owner. Do others benefit from his plan? From his business? Yeah, yeah. But first, it's him. So Ephesians, the first chapter, and verse 18. Paul is saying, he's praying that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Paul said, I want you to come to understand this. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. There's there's that benefit for you in this, see? There's a hope of his call. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You know what that's saying? When this is all over, when this is all said and done, When one day we stand inside those gates, not only will we rejoice, you know who else will rejoice? God will. My children have come home. That's his inheritance in the saints. That's what God's wanted from the beginning. (laughs) That's why he created man to begin with. Man's the one he could have fellowship with. Sin got in the way. But God wasn't going to leave it there. He had a plan. That he would save man through his son. But it's God's plan. And He put it on the plate. And He delivered it to the apostles and prophets. And He said, I want you to take it and give it to them. And it'll benefit them. But you know who else will benefit? (laughs) It'll benefit God. Because that's what He wants. That's what He's always wanted. So that's what Paul's saying. And who's going to judge me? You? Me? Myself? Or ultimately God? It's His plan. He's provided everything. And what you have, you didn't get it. That's what Paul's saying to them. We were given it. So Romans, the 16th chapter. And verse... Verse 25. Now to Him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. That faith was put on the plate. God wanted it delivered. It will save men's souls. And it will bring the saints home to Him. That's obedience to the faith. That's what I want delivered. And Jude says, the faith has once for all time been delivered. So that's what we have.
So we are servants and we are stewards. And that's that's our role. But now then, the servant's soul. 1 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse, let me get back again, first, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos, so we make the application first so that you can come to understand. For your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up beyond one be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You start to see what Paul's saying now. It was all delivered to us. Everything we have, we received. It's not of ourselves. Paul says, I'm applying this to me and Apollos so that you can come to understand and you'll do the same thing. Apply it to yourself. Come to understand that. And now there's there's divisions and strife and some of you are puffed up and one thinks he's better than the other. And he's saying, which one of you, (laughs) everything you've got, the message, the gospel, the instruction, the talents, God gave you. So what are you puffed up about? <laughs> and in chapter 12, we talk about the body and different roles within the body. And how one should not look at the other and say, I have no need of you, or one say, I'm better than you. So Paul says that they might learn not to go beyond what is written. I want to read to you from chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. But we, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. What's Paul saying? He's talking about the here and now. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the church. He's talking about all of these things. And he said this was hidden previously. Now it's been revealed what God has prepared for those who who love Him. Verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual... Some translations say comparing spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So what Paul is saying is, now we've been taught what God had in mind, it's been revealed, and that's what we're sharing. That's what we're sharing with you. And so you need to learn not to go beyond that which is written. Now that's real interesting. In the Old Testament it was often said. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. So in the New Testament, James says, if a man knows to do right and he doesn't do it, to him it is a sin. You know what that just said? If God tells you something, don't take it away. (laughs) Don't add to it or don't take it away. Don't take away from it. If you know what to do, and then you don't do it, you're taking you're taking it away. Don't do that. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, John will tell us over in Second John about verse nine. He that goes onward 
and abides not in the doctrine of Christ. He that goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. So now he's gone too far. He's adding things to it. So in the New Testament, it tells us the same thing. Don't take away from it. Don't add to it. And that's what Paul is saying to them. So that you might learn not to go beyond what... I can't do it. Apollos can't do it. So you don't do it. And it's interesting. When he says, don't go beyond what is written. You know why I find that so interesting? (laughs) Paul's telling them, don't go beyond what is written. Well, guess who wrote that? (laughs) Paul did. (laughs) So you know what Paul's saying? And he will say it later on. The things I write to you are the commandments of God. You know what Peter said about Paul? He says sometimes, this is kind of a paraphrase, 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. You know, Paul sometimes writes things that are kind of hard to understand. And those who are untaught and unlearned, they twist those things to their own destruction as also they do the rest of the Scriptures. What Peter just said. You know that stuff that our brother Paul writes? That's Scripture. (laughs) That's what he's saying. They twist other Scriptures. And they take, take things that Paul has written... And they twist those. And what they do, they're twisting Scripture. So don't do that. So what Paul is suggesting is, this ought to be your heart's desire. This ought to be in your soul. This is what you want to do. And who makes you to differ? Everything you have, you received, just like we did. And you ought to recognize the blessing that you have. And you ought to recognize the dependence that you have. Now I want you to watch what he says in verse 8. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 8. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. So what's Paul saying? You, you can do it without us? You, you, you don't need the apostles? You don't need the revelation? That we brought. You can do it without us. What should it be? No, we appreciate you, Paul. We appreciate the role that you have and what God has given you and the sacrifices that you make and the blessing that it brings to us. You took what was on the plate left it exactly the way God revealed it. And you delivered it to us. But it wasn't quite that easy, was it? Do you remember when we studied the book of Acts? Acts 8, 10th chapter. Second missionary journey. Who was it that brought the gospel to Corinth? It was Paul. It was Paul. And was it easy? No, it wasn't easy. Do you remember when he was run out of Thessalonica? Do you remember when he was run out of Berea? Do you remember when he went to the city of Athens? They didn't want to hear about the resurrection. And do you remember when he ended up in Corinth? And do you remember when he got to Corinth who he bumped into? (laughs) Priscilla and Aquila. And what did they do? They were tent makers. 
So Paul knew how to do that. So what did Paul do? I got to support myself. So that's what he did. Worked with his hands so that he could preach the gospel in Corinth. Do you remember the first missionary journey? (laughs) When he was stoned and left for dead? And so now Paul says, you can do it without us? Don't you see what's in my soul? (laughs) I want to preach the gospel. And I want you to enjoy the blessings of it. And the sacrifices I've made is not so that I can be puffed up, (laughs) but rather so that I will be found faithful. And that you'll benefit from it. He could ask, who taught you the gospel? (laughs) And all the things that I'm teaching you now, you know what he's doing? Not only did he bring them salvation, what he's doing now, he's keeping them saved. Can we see that? Because it's not just obey the gospel and then you're done. God intends for us to be a part of a local group and to work together and to edify one another and to help each other stay saved. I'll turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, about verses 19 and 20. Now this is Philippi, but Paul's going to send Timothy to Corinth also. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. (laughs) Do you think they had that problem in Corinth? And so Paul sends Timothy to Philippi. He says, you know what? This is the kind of guy Timothy is. And he's going to look out for you. He'll care for you Just like I care for you. So what Paul is saying is, you need to recognize your dependence on the ones who brought you the gospel, on the ones who are now serving you. I want to read to you now from verse 18 through 21, chapter 4. Paul's going to make the application. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit? Of gentleness. You know what Paul's saying? I've been hearing that there are some there and they're doing a whole lot of talking. They're just doing a whole lot of talking. But do they have any power? And then he says, the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. Listen to what Paul says. But I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul said, I'm glad to suffer for the body of Christ. He's writing it to Colossians, the church at Colossae. 
And that's what he had done for Corinth also. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul saying as he writes to the church of Colossae, I was willing to do that. Suffer for. Why? Because him and because Paul himself had enjoyed the blessings, the grace of God. As a sinner, he knew that. And you know what the gospel did for him? It changed him. It changed his heart. And as he wrote this letter to Corinth in chapter 1, he said he was called to be an apostle. And he was striving to be faithful as a servant and as a steward of the mysteries of God. And as he wrote to the church at Colossae, the hope of Christ in you. And Paul could say, Christ is in me. And that's why I do the things that I do and why I'm willing to sacrifice and why I'm willing to bring this under whatever duress to get this gospel to you. Because you know what the gospel does? It changes hearts. It changes people. And that is powerful. And so Paul says, when I come to you, I will know you not only in word." but in power. You know what I'm saying? Do you have a changed life? Are you willing to sacrifice for Christ and for your brethren to serve Him and to serve them? That's the power that He's talking about. Have you ever heard someone say, I would rather see a sermon than hear one. You ever heard that? What do they say? I want to see. I want to see it in you. And when you see that in someone, it's got a lot of power, doesn't it? I knew him before. I knew her before. Wow, they're different. So what Paul's saying? I hear a lot of words. Is there any power behind those words? You can talk the talk. Can you walk the walk? And so now Paul says to them, I'm an apostle. I brought you this gospel. It wasn't easy, but I gladly did it. And now, you don't need me. <laughs> you can do it without us. Paul's saying, you need to see what's in my soul. And this same thing needs to be in your soul. <clears throat> so now, 1 Corinthians 4, chapter, verses 14 through 17 as we wrap this up. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. In Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason... I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. 
Remember when we read about Timothy before? Paul says, I have no one like-minded like him. And so now to the church at Corinth, now I'm sending Timothy again. My beloved son, faithful. And he'll teach you the same thing. Same thing I teach in every church. Know your role. Have it in your soul. And serving Christ, make that your goal. And Paul says that he's writing to them as a father. And he says, I don't write these things to shame you. Sometimes a father may correct a child and it may embarrass them, but that's not their intent. Their intent is their higher good. And so Paul will write later in this letter, letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, be ye imitators of me as I also am of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Not I'm perfect, but as I serve Christ, I point to the one who is perfect. And so Paul is saying, Timothy's going to remind you of my ways. And once again, so that you might make application. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus. Speaking about His disciples, He said, You are the light of the world. Over in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Reflecting Christ, you shine as lights in the world. You ever go out at night time when the moon is full? And you look up and sometimes, boy, it's really shining bright. And we say... Man, the moon's really shining tonight. You know, that's not really a correct statement. Do you know that? You know what the moon's actually doing? The moon is reflecting light. Do you know if you turn off the sun, (laughs) do you know what happens to the moon? It goes dark. (laughs) Have you ever heard of the dark side of the moon? (laughs) That's the side that's away from the sun. The moon just simply reflects light. And so that's what Paul is saying. Imitate me. The later you say, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. As a servant. As a steward. He's saying, I know my role. I know what's in my soul. I know the goal. So the church at Corinth certainly had its issues. But one of the very first things that Paul was trying to get them to do was to center center their hearts on Christ. You know, churches can have doctrinal issues. I've been there, I know. But you know what happens a lot of times? Those issues get exacerbated. How? By personalities and by egos. And that's what Paul's trying to say. Take the ego out of it. Take the personalities out of it. And know your role. Put this in your soul. And know the goal. It's to take the gospel to deliver it the way God has entrusted it to us. Be good stewards. Reflect Him. I'm going to close. I'm going to read to you from Matthew, the 20th chapter. I'll quit here. Matthew chapter 20, 25 through 28. Do you recall earlier when I said something about James and John and them coming to Jesus? Well, this is that particular occasion. Matthew chapter 20. 
I'm going to back up to verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, so they got their mother to go along with them, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, Yep, we are. We're, we're able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they became greatly displeased with the two brothers. (laughs) There's those personalities. But Jesus called them, I love to himself, and he said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for me. You know what Jesus said? What he's saying is, I, I, I knew my role. <laughs> I know what was in my soul to serve the Father. And I know what the goal was. I'm a servant. That's what I want you to be too. So that's First Corinthians chapter 4. I want to extend the invitation to any and all that are here. If we can help you in any way, make your relationship right with the Lord today, let us know while together we stand. And while we sing.